Welcome to the Capital Integrative Health Podcast, a podcast dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of both disease and wellness. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health, an integrative practice committed to expanding access to holistic root cause medicine to the global community. Today, we have our friend and colleague, Dr. Hiza Mabana. Hiza is a doctor of physical therapy specializing in helping clients recover from injury address acute or chronic pain and restore optimal function. He is passionate about helping his clients reach optimal wellness by addressing the whole body. We are lucky to have Hiza here at CIH to provide physical therapy to our patients. Hiza enjoys living out health and wellness in his own life and spends his time trail running and cycling and doing other quality family activities with both his family and his friends in the DC area. Join us for a conversation today about addressing physical pain in a holistic manner and bringing back optimal function and wellness to body, mind, and spirit. Welcome, Hazel, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And I will say this is the very first podcast we've ever done on a Friday, so this is very groundbreaking and pioneering here, like one of your trail runs, I believe. Well, I hope I don't break the process. (laughs) It's always good to go a little off track. A little bit. We've done that a little bit um, before we got on air here, but we talked about tacos and how we really enjoy you know looking at the best taco places in in the area yes i think we have a lot of work to do i mean we've there's only a lot covered, of exploring yeah we've, we've only covered a small fraction of it and i think there's there's room for improvement so we'll get back into that as that as that uh, relates to physical therapy and uh, different health issues let's talk first though about kind of your background and how you got um uh, why did you pursue physical therapy as a career and did you have any experience that led you to want to work professionally in the health and wellness field Sure. Um, well, I, I guess I kind of got to it in a very um, indirect, direct way. So growing up, one of our family friends, so I, I moved here from Tanzania. And um, when we moved to the States, we had like a we had a family liaison person, someone who kind of helps you integrate, to, you know, with 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 American culture. Yeah. And so she I call her my aunt, um, my aunt Sarah, um, she would literally every weekend, she would pick us up and take us to explore different things, um, whether it's horseback riding, swimming, anything, but she also happened to be um, um, a PE instructor at or she taught at Ithaca College. And they would they had a, a performance lab human performance lab there. And they were looking at CO2 max uh, variabilities, and they were looking for younger population, younger samples. And so she would volunteer me. I would go. I would participate. I'd wear this giant you know, mask and get on the treadmill, and they would do all these different tests. And then afterwards, we would go to Ponderosa or something like that and just <laughs> you know, have a huge lunch. But then yeah. – so that's how I got into – so my, my experience or my exposure with performance was pretty early on just from just being part of that environment so often and then seeing you know coaches and seeing athletes in there also getting rehab or athletic trainers working on athletes so you know so part of it she was also a big fan of gymnastics and so on friday nights they would have gymnastic meets there at Ithaca college and so we would go and for me i wasn't really interested in um you know the actual performance itself i was more interested in how do they get to that point right mm-hmm. how do they do the tumble how do they do these flips how do they do that day in and day out and why are some wearing you know ankle wraps and why some aren't wearing ankle wraps and so again i 
that's just the way I thought of it. I never looked at it as, oh, I'm going to gymnastics and I'm going to watch a show. So that happened. That I guess that's kind of how it's always been for me. Is like, I look at performance, but really the behind the scenes stuff. Behind the scenes, what's what led to that? Yeah, kind what of the leads root to that? And yeah, and yeah. so for me, I've always kind of looked at it like that. And then in high school, I had a really bad ankle injury, and that was my first exposure to physical therapy. So it was a. It, it was a pretty bad, um, I tore in a couple ligaments. So the options were physical therapy or surgery. So surgery for me wasn't an option because they said I wouldn't be able to play within the next year. So they said if I do physical therapy and everything looks good, I may be able to get back to playing in, you know, eight to 10 weeks. So I was like, yeah. I'll take eight to yeah. 10 weeks. Yeah. This is fine. A lot I mean, shorter yeah, than a year. A lot shorter. Yeah. So I ended up hanging out with this physical therapy group for um, the entire time. And then after that, I really fell in love with the profession because it was also around the same time my parents were saying, you know, you should think about what you want to do for college. You know, you're not going anywhere undecided. We'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so think yeah. about it. So I realized I was like, well, I really like physical therapy. I had a great time in physical therapy. Um, so why don't I explore that? So I volunteered my time after school, after soccer practice. I would volunteer my time at this same physical therapy clinic throughout my high school nice yeah so every okay. you know three or four days a week i would be i would be there every single day not nice you know, so, so you've been you've really been a physical therapist and training for a long I, time i have been for a long and, time and just to go back to ethica college and the hpl human performance lab what how young were you when you started i doing was that? i was nine wow so you yeah. really have been i was yeah, nine amazing. and uh yeah so i've always i've always been around that environment yeah, yeah. so um but again, I think for me, the, the main thing was really I, I enjoy the most how things work, how people work, how the body functions and how mm -hmm. it kind of bounces back after injury. So I've always been keen on that. But I think I think, you know, my aunt Sarah really helped really kind of solidify that because I didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to do. But I think her her ex exposing me to that at a young age, at a yeah. Young age yeah. It kind of was kind of a um, in a, a pivotal part, p pivotal point for me. And then, in terms of shadowing <clears throat> different PT practices, etc., mm -hmm. uh, did you learn different like nuances to, to treatment and those type of things from there? I don't. I mean, you mean you mean after? And, or and, you well, mean I guess in, well, even in high school, but then a afterwards, of yeah. course. You, you I think in high school, it. I didn't. I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't at that. I wasn't at a stage where I can actually appreciate nuance. Okay, then. right. But right, I think right. what I what I definitely knew that was different in this PT practice compared to another physical therapy practice that I ended up going to was the first one is I had a lot of fun. It was mm -hmm. a lot of fun, even though I was getting I was doing rehab. They you know they know they knew they were working with you know an adolescent. He's not going to just sit still and um, <laughs> be worked on and be told and be educated. Like, oh, yeah, well, this is what's happened to your ligament. It's, they just made it interactive. They made it fun and they made it unique to me and they made it specific enough that I felt like this was the only person that can do this is me. <laughs> and physical therapy is one of those things that it seems like you just said, um, the only person that could do it is is you, and you, you kind of have more domain over that, almost mm -hmm. like you know taking charge of your own health that way. And that's, yeah. that's a really nice thing there. Yeah, and I think that's where, I think that's the first thing. I, I guess if, if I had to um, identify kind of the, the early um, nuance in terms of physical therapy for me was that, you know, the body is capable of doing and you are a lot more in control than you think. And, mm -hmm. and I think that was the main 
takeaway that I got from, you know, my early days is that you were, you're definitely not limited to just your, your current circumstances. And we know that mindset has a huge role to play in the, right. in the physical function, recovery, you know, the body. I do want to get into a deep dive in that a little bit later here. Sure. Um, but first, let's talk about more more broadly. How did you come to uh, work with us here at CIH? How did we meet? I know we should give a shout out to to Bonnie. Our, yeah, we our should good give a shout Bonnie out. Here. Yep, to Bonnie. Yeah, but I think. Um, well, and Mike. And Mike. Yeah, yep, absolutely. I think um, the first time I heard about you was you uh, worked with my colleague Mike. Yes. Because um, he had some unusual thing. I, it started out with I think it was. Um, oh, I remember. He he said that he well he'd been drinking a lot of uh, French press coffee. Okay. And I think you identified something about the French press process was affecting his performance, and so you had him change up and uh, change change the kind of coffee he was drinking, and he felt amazing and he felt great. And he's and so at the time I was also looking for a primary care, and he's like, "You got to talk to this guy." <laughs> and and I was like, "Well, how, where is he?" And he goes upstairs in the I building. Go, yeah, yeah. I go same great, building. Great, the path of least resistance, <laughs> convenient. <laughs> he's right upstairs. Yeah, yeah. And so that I think that's when we first met, and then um, subsequently. I think we we figured out that we were neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, very every close once by. in a while we would kind of be in passing and I was like, I think that was Dr. Wong. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that was him. But again, I was like, who would and then eventually I was like, oh, do you live in the area? He's like, Yeah, I live right over there. I'm like, Oh yeah, you live right across the street. <laughs> and, and that's the the beautiful thing about like meeting people like, you know, cross pollination and you know, yeah. I think we're both interested in how how we can take a holistic integrative approach to to care and that's how I think we kind of bonded too. Yeah. I yeah. agree. I think that was the main I mean when I I decided to start my own practice primarily because of that. Yeah. was that I just I looked at physical therapy as a lot bigger than just, you know, knee pain or back pain or shoulder pain. Mm -hmm. Um I looked at it as really this is a whole this is a whole system process and the current the current the current mechanisms weren't allowing me to explore that process. Right. So instead of trying to fix the system, I just started my own process. You started Cambio <laughs> Physio in uh, which year? In again? 2013. 2013. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's been eight, eight, nine years yeah. now. It's so great. 2013, I remember that. I remember um, telling my patients, like, "Oh, it's going to be very different. You know, I'm gonna, I just don't look at." this we're going to target all these other areas <clears throat> we're going to talk about you know sleep habits and we're talking about again at that time i had no idea how intricately related these things were but i just knew that for most of my patients stress was a big factor of mm -hmm. pain and you know in the traditional setting patients come and go but the, for the most part the prescription was two to three times a week for four to six weeks yeah and i, I just remember uh, <clears throat> meeting you and talking with you more in depth you know uh, you know over a cup of coffee or whatever yeah it's like you know talking about stress and mindset and sleep and nutrition and all these things that i've never heard a physical therapist talk about that before so i was like this is someone special here yeah, uh, yeah. well i i i owe it i owe that a lot to just being you know lucky enough to be in an in an opportunity to learn from different people and yeah. i think that i learned from my patients more than they they probably know and you know you start to see a pattern with a lot of performers that you know it, if they're all exhibiting similar stuff 
it can't just be ignored, right? It's not just something that you, you have to at least try and tackle it as much as you can. And I think that's part of the reason why we uh, <clears throat> connected and resonated so much is that I think we saw practice, you know, medical practice as a lot more robust than, you know, just, you know, input output. It's a lot more complex than that. And it's individually based and it's not just, you know, if you just do this, you'll be fine. Right. And, and absolutely. And I would also add that, as you just mentioned, that patients are best teachers. Right. And, yeah. and part of it's about, you know, listening to them as they cultivate and, and develop that innate healing yeah. for them. And it's so, and, yeah. and I think that is the hardest part for providers in in general, because that means you have to trust them. Right. right. It's no longer based on your skill set. Right. Your job That's is right. to be a. A nudge, a gentle nudge. It's up to them to do the the hard work, which is, um, you know, finding clever ways to get around their limitations, finding ways to move beyond that. And I think that's the hardest part is as as you know, being on the sideline waiting. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Because you want it to go, you want it to happen. But you know, I think what I've learned in this whole process is that you have to step back. And you really have to let them do it. It might be a week. It might be 10 weeks. But it's really up to them to work through that. And it's not it's not healthy for you to be kind of chomping out the bed and waiting. And it's not your mm -hmm. job to take credit for their progress. Correct, it's your correct. job to be a cheerleader. And I think that's what I've learned the most from, you know, having started my own practice is that I stopped, I stopped caring about the... Um, PT part and I cared more about the outcomes and the outcomes are really do I feel resilient do I feel confident do I feel educated do I feel knowledgeable in what is happening to my body and how do I move beyond that and yeah. I think that's that's the hardest part because it involves you trusting the patient to do for themselves. Yeah, and, and you know, building up that trust probably week after week over time is, is one of the, the big, you know, I yeah. think mechanisms of healing. As a physical therapist, what are your primary goals in working with a client? Um, great question. I think for me, again, it's going to sound a little off base, but for me, my patients need to have fun. I mean, I think this is, this is not something that um, a lot of, clinicians think about but totally being agree. having fun yeah. and being able to 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 joke and talk about things that are serious but at the same time you know give them positive optimism is critical in this process i mean like i always joke i i always say hey how's it going i go wait i know you're here they're, the only reason anyone comes to see a physical therapist is not because they're feeling 100 uh percent -huh. usually there's something <laughs> going on right so right, no one really right. comes to hang out with you because they're like i feel great i'm you know i'm walking on sunshine <laughs> and because so they're already they're already feeling some kind of way about themselves and mm -hmm. so i think the most important part of my job is to make sure that the the environment is engaging, but also that, you know, we it's lighthearted and it's, you know, it's educational, but it's got to be lighthearted and fun and, and it gives, it's got to give them purpose and education. It's positive re reinforcement. We, yeah. we tend to do things more and, you know, repeat them if we enjoy them. Yeah. yeah. And also, I mean, most people, most people understand you know, from a kind of an, an oversimplified version of what's going on with their bodies. So if you try to go into the minutiae of what's going on, that's great for your colleagues. That's great for, you know, um, 
if, if your patient is well versed in the medical field, that's fine. But most people want to know, how do I get back to doing the things I enjoy doing? Right? How do I feel how better? Do I how, get, do, how am I more functional? Yeah. And, stuff? and how do okay. I find ways to continue to spend time with my family? How can I get back to playing with my kids? How can I get back to picking up my grandchild? How can I get back to riding and enjoying so would you say the primary goals would really be it's very patient-centered actually it's like kind of what they want to do to be more functional enjoy their life more yeah i think it's it's really centered around that and and it's taken it's taken a lot it's a it's a constant struggle because Mm -hmm. it's you know, my bias is always to fix, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but that's, that's not how we're our all trained, job. right? Yeah. And traditionally, we right, we right. we've always been trained to fix. But yeah. I think um, changing and learning to be an educator and creating a a, a fun environment that's engaging um, has been one of the best um, changes for me because um, it does it does it makes makes the medicine go down a little smoother. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. A little honey in there. <laughs> yeah, a little honey <laughs> nice, in there. Nice. Maybe some uh, herbs as well. That's right. I <laughs> just got into that. Um, so what are some common themes you would see arise with clients? I guess both uh, opportunities and challenges, I would say. Um, well, I, one the most common theme I see is um, the prevalence of chronic pain. Okay. Um, that's been that's, – that's taken a huge rise. And we know about um, the opioid epidemic yeah, and yeah. all this stuff. We're trying to get yeah. You know, so out I've of seen that. I've seen that be kind of the 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 one of the primary um, one of the primary things that contribute to a lot of ailments is the severity of chronic pain, the frequency of chronic pain, and all the subsequent um, physiological changes and psycho psychosocial changes that take place. That's been a huge huge shift because I remember a decade ago. I mean, most of it was evaluate and treat knee pain. Yeah. That's it. Evaluate and treat this. And now, I mean, and I look back and I realized, you know, obviously you can't you can't rewrite your past, but you realize how many of those people weren't there because of knee pain, but they were there of something a lot more Absolutely. profound and a lot yeah. more uh, nuanced than than just kind of a, a plug and chug kind of response. Pain is, is a like, mind body condition for yeah. sure, but let's let's take a forest view, a step back if you, if we can, mm-hmm. um, and let's just talk about pain and like the definition of pain. You know, what is pain? Is pain always bad? Because I, I feel like this even the word pain connotes something that is you know negative. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I always sort of say sometimes to patients anyway is um, you know, sometimes symptoms are our body's way as our friend to notify us that hey something is off kilter out of balance so there then gives you an opportunity to notice that and then to maybe do something to bring that back to equilibrium so what is your definition of pain you know how do you see that well i having having experienced and worked with it with a mixed patient population some who have pain from post-op okay some who have chronic pain right and some who have kind of something in between from either a sprain or strain yeah is that pain is unique to the person and pain is more of a, a an experience rather than kind of the traditional binary thing is either is there pain or is there no pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look at pain as really it's a it's a personal experience for that person, and it's mixed with past experiences, it's mixed with past responses, it's mixed yeah. with it's so it's 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 a lot bigger. It's a personality, right? So right. and and certain cultures. Um, I've learned to appreciate certain cultures have different ways of interpreting pain. Hmm. But again, what's unique is that even in those cultures, 
individual individuals with pain have a unique response to that pain and it's a relationship that they have and some hold it as a badge and some people don't and i think having respect that it's a little different than yeah i have a question just uh, off uh, off tangent a little bit but mm-hmm. um you know in terms of that tanzania and other places around the world that you've kind of experienced um any any difference in the the sort of the, the way that people there you know you would say experience pain versus like people here in america well i think is, i mean not to not to generalize but i think for the most part for me in my culture pain isn't really looked at as as something that needs a lot of attention okay right pain is really if you get an injury you move on hmm. um and, and i suspect that some of that is really we don't growing up or just live you know lived experiences there there are so many other things that are more pressing in my country mm-hmm. um that you know you don't have time to actually pay attention to the subtle you know nuances yeah. of chronic pain are, are there physical therapists and there are physical tens- therapists okay. yeah um and and most of them most of them work with you know fractures injuries etc but i think that the the idea of chronic pain being um, unique and individualized, I think that's uh, um, that's an emerging uh, mindset because it's from you know countless work of you know psychosocial therapists and just looking at different um, ways that different cultures interpret pain, and I think I think that's been the biggest challenge is that. I see pain as a unique experience and a lot of my colleagues and a lot of other people look at pain as this kind of input output and yeah. it's just you you know you just have a a, a neuro issue that needs to be resolved or right. you just have this injury it's that needs to get mechanically, better mechanically right There's, right but I think yeah, I think yeah. looking at it from the psychosocial ex, um, perspective has mm-hmm. really changed my mind and and again I think even looking at you know the way pain is handled in Tanzania, it's really psychosocial, right? So for for a lot of people, they are dealing with so many other things that are so much more pressing um, urgent, know, yeah. and urgent mm-hmm. that, you know, I think there's a certain level of robustness there that comes with that. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, I, I suspect that there's a certain level of tolerance too in mm-hmm. terms of the neural response mm-hmm. to challenges stress, create too. resilience. Yeah. 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 yeah, and I suspect yeah. that's probably one of the Mm. One of the you know the differences that I see is I, I mean I think I think as a as a nation here we we look at pain where you know the level of resilience isn't as much because there's a lot of fixes right you have a slight ache there's a med for that you right. have a slight sneeze there's a med for that pharmacies open twenty four seven pharmacies open twenty four seven and so there is a level of it creates a mindset that. I can just turn this pain off immediately. Mm-hmm. I don't really need mm-hmm. to work through it. I don't really mm-hmm. need to experience that. And the challenge is that when that happens in adolescent, hmm. it's really tough to be resilient and have that resilience in your 40s, 50s, 60s. Because the brain pathways haven't been developed. Because the brain pathways have not been developed. Yeah. It's just like doing anything challenging. Yeah. It's scary at first, and then you do it. You go, oh, that wasn't so bad. But if you do that much later, it's like, I don't want to do it at all because. But it's never I don't too like late. Challenge. I remember the story uh, that we we can keep all the names all you know 
uh, you know, I'll generalize, but, you know, of, of you know, ladies, let's say, in, in their, you know, 70s, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, you were working with them for, for a long time, you, yeah. you know, and then after like, you know, 10 years, like osteoporosis gets reversed. They're like yeah. lifting weights at Home Depot and yeah. you know, things like that. I was like, wow, <laughs> yeah. this is yeah. so enlightening, you know? Yeah, I think that was, uh, I mean, and, and I think that's the, the biggest blessing that I've experienced in this process is that by changing my mindset about physical therapy, I've developed friends, yeah, rather than just patients, yeah. And I mean, not that's not to say every patient is a friend, but I mean, I think, you know, if when you when you change your mindset about the way you are caring about people, it does mm-hmm. it changes their mindset about their transaction with you, yeah, true. Um, so I, I I am very fortunate. I've I've met you know several people who, um, when we first met, did not think that they were resilient enough. They did not think that they could do. And, you know, or, or even knew what a kettlebell or a dumbbell was. And so I think, I think that was my first, uh, that, that those two are the, probably the most pivotal or most, uh, amazing nudges that I needed to kind of confirm that, Hey, you know what, you know, what I've read in the literature and what I've uh, been applying practically is effective and it's yeah. tough. And I, I just want to revisit what you said because I, I feel like that's so groundbreaking is like, you know, the care of the patient isn't about the diagnosis. Right. It's actually about the care yeah. itself. It's about the care. Which is, you know, what makes you so special in your practice. So I try. <laughs> I, it's the glasses, I'm telling you. You wear <laughs> the, it's the glasses. <laughs> what brand of glasses uh, is that? I don't even remember, but... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is about, you know, it's about the personalization, like you yeah. said, um, and that ex- that person's experience of pain, mm-hmm. pain being ex- experience, not just a mechanical issue. Uh, yeah. There are motor and sensory fibers, of course, and those go to the thalamus and that relays things to different areas of the brain. Mm-hmm. But then the brain interprets this and then it signals through the amygdala and like different areas, emotional centers of the brain. So we have all experienced maybe the same potential physical input yeah. as something very different emotionally, depending on neural pathways resilience mm-hmm. childhood history like yeah. all these type of things yeah. um so what are the common reasons what are some of the common reasons that that people have pain and then a, another kind of related question to that is if there's a pain if there's pain in one area how does it how does it connect to the whole body yeah so they're a bit a bit you know connected. so i mean i th- i think common you know common pain or common areas you know you'll typically see the most common is low back pain mm-hmm. we see that as kind of a, and again the, the challenge with low back pain is that it may not be low back pain right it right. might just be the proximity of to that other to other areas a lot of organs right. a lot of tissues are in that yeah, area so yeah. i think proximity is is one but also we've we've created an environment where anything that happens in the back we've treated the back as this kind of fragile structure mm-hmm. but you know it isn't fragile it's probably one of the most resilient structures and most robust structures so my job is to try to work on reverse engineering that mindset that if you have a history of back pain that you don't you, it does not mean that your spine is fragile. Mm-hmm. Even right? with fractures, people Even can with heal fractures, that. Even with fractures, people and, can heal yeah. that. But I think, you know, like you said, I mean, I think the interpretation of pain is really, you know, what we need to address the most with the, with that patient and population. And I think, let's say someone has acute back pain, you know, I mm-hmm. think the very traditional model was like, take the aspirin, you know, sit on the couch, watch Netflix. But then is that really uh, a good advice or not? I don't think it's good advice. Um, for most people, um, Doing everything you can to calm things down, you know, modifying your activities, change positions as much as you can, find positions of comfort. Um, just like any injury, eventually it will calm down. 
Um, you know, and again, there are certain instances where, yeah, you may need mm-hmm. if it's severe, if it's they, severe, you know, or yeah. you're getting other signs and symptoms, right? Right. Then yes, then you know, you it may be an emergent, yeah, issue. neurologic symptoms, yeah. But yeah, if it's, all that stuff, if, right. you know, and the pain can feel worse than the actual injury, right? right. It's very, I, I akin it to a paper cut, right? You can get a paper cut and it feels like. It's just awful. And, but and it's it a might be cut. good for the listeners out there who, you know, maybe don't have that clinical experience as a medical professional like yourself. Um, what are the red flags to look out for? For, you know, I think most pain, but I think low back pain, since that's the most common, mm-hmm. what are the things that's like, okay, you should go see your yeah. practitioner about that? You should go to urgently to go see someone. So um, most of the time, if you have changes in bowel and bladder function, right. Um, Definitely, that is that is not something called cataquina yeah, syndrome. You, yeah, okay. so if you experience you know changes in bowel and bladder function, um, difficulty controlling bowel and bladder, that's a red flag. Right, um, that's an ER visit, yeah. pretty much. Or yeah. if you notice, if you know, in some instances, the pain could be severe enough that you notice some changes in you know essentially like numbness and tingling in the leg, mm-hmm. weakness in the mm-hmm. leg. If you notice inability to lift the leg or use those muscles on that side. That again could indicate some sort of compression on yeah. those nerves, and yeah. again, you, you may you may need to go to the emergency room just to have it evaluated and make sure and confirm that okay, it's this nerve being compressed. But right. again, it will probably get better on its own with a little TLC modifying. And that's where the diagnosis would and be that's helpful. Where yeah. the diagnosis would be helpful. Yeah. But for the most part, a lot of a lot of acute back pain is feels really bad. But in terms of severity of damage, is that's the challenge. Is really how do you calm someone down when they're in the middle of that? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the education comes in, mm-hmm. and that's where kind of letting them lead with, hey, this this is annoying. This doesn't bother me. So if this doesn't bother, you do that. So the idea is try to calm everything down while you build up everything around it. So right. you need to continue to increase level of movement confidence yes. while you're recovering from the primary injury. And it's so important to address that early because what I see sometimes is people may either not intentionally ignore it, but it doesn't get really addressed properly. Yeah. And then what can happen is one area of pain can just kind of go global right. with that dilemmic relay. So it's kind of like you want to address that to get that pain threshold down in a way so that they can continue to be balanced. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the challenge for so many is that we've created a boogeyman out of the back, right? We've created Mm -hmm. this mindset. So it does drum up all of the, you know, the excitatory parts of of the fear of flight, right? Right. Got to take that outdoor tunnel right away, you know? And And I think I look at pain as also a protective mechanism, right? So pain is also a way to stop you from doing future or undue harm. And so listening to it is important, but it shouldn't be, it shouldn't looked at, it shouldn't be looked at as you always need to turn it off. You don't mm-hmm. need to always block the pain. I think it's, I think if you think of it as a way to protect you, it's protecting you from doing something um, silly until things calm down. So it could be a protective message from our, I our bodies. Look, I've yeah. always okay. I've always looked at pain as a protective mechanism yeah. rather than you know a noxious stimuli that needs to be squashed. In terms of low back pain, just to go a little bit more into that, how mm-hmm. would you approach that in terms of as a common pain area as a physical therapist overall? Not not as, assuming it's like musculoskeletal, it's sure. nothing severe, no no cauliflower stuff like that. Yeah, I, I would I would say that. For me, what works really best is to uh, to reassure and encourage movement, um, mm-hmm. reassuring and encouraging movement, whatever that is to you. However, 
you know, however, how, how, however often you can do that reassuring and encouraging movement is critical in that process because in order for your brain to make those necessary pathways, it needs context, right? So you need the context around, okay, well, this really hurts, but I can move my arm. Yeah. This really hurts, but I can move my leg. So trying some things out, trying doing other things Mm -hmm. that are not, you know, provocative and they're not going to irritate those structures is key. And whatever that means, whatever that maybe that means, Hey, I get up every, you know, 20 minutes and I try to find ways to stand up taller or I work on, you know, my arms or I work on my shoulders or I work on my legs, anything to stress different areas while that primary area is calming down mm-hmm. is critical nudge forward rather than, okay, I'll wait until all my pain is at a zero and then I'll start because that could be several weeks. Right? And there's a, there's a degree of exercise or movement with, let's say, back movements that mm-hmm. that may change over time as the body recovers. And you know, someone could tolerate a certain, you know, lesser frequency of the movements, and then later on it could be greater. And they, they have to kind of that's where that whole tinkering kind of comes into play. Yeah, I think it's all about graded exposure when it yeah. comes to I love that when it comes too. to re- yeah. recovery. Is that mm-hmm. as long as you give just enough of a nudge. It, your body will make those adjustments accordingly and it will adapt to those demands accordingly. But if you give too high a dose, then weird things can happen. So but too, if low you, too low of a dose sitting on the sofa right, versus too low a dose too is too low. Right. Too high a dose is going to be noxious. Well, you've given me the excuse to uh, do the three uh, the three bears in the oatmeal story. <laughs> <laughs> not <laughs> Movement not too yeah, much or right. too little, right? It's right <laughs> in the middle there. That's right. Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> That's awesome. So we can talk about and and then talking about the root cause of low back pain overall. Mm-hmm. Why do why do so many people have low back pain? What are the common reasons? And are there any habits people are doing daily that are contributing to let's say low back pain first? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think most people um, with back pain that the main the main challenge is doing something too quickly or ramping up too quickly in terms of activity without enough preparation. Maybe weekend right? warrior syndrome. Yeah, weekend like warrior. That. But mm-hmm. I think most of it, if you think about, you know, our body, it's our, our musculoskeletal system is all based on capacity, right? Do you have the capacity to tolerate that stress? Yeah. And, you know, for some people, they have the capacity to get up and walk or pick or as high as, you know, deadlift 500 pounds. Right. Mm-hmm. So the strength is one thing. Strength isn't the issue. It's really capacity. And, you know, and that's why there are some people who are sedentary but have no back pain. And there are some people who are sedentary and have back pain. It's not it's not because you're sitting too much. It's just your structures either have the capacity to tolerate that level of sedentary mm-hmm. um, lifestyle or not. And I, so that's why it's, it's very varied. And I, I don't like to use absolutes in terms of, you know, if you sit too much, you'll have back pain because the problem is that I'm sure we all have plenty of colleagues who, you you know, sit and, and you know, they kind of contort themselves in these weird pretzels, right. but they're completely asymptomatic. And, and there are some genetic single nucleotide polymorphisms yeah. for like skeletal structure and right. p- people have like different bone masses depending on their person, the genetics, family right. history and stuff yeah. like that. And, and, and yeah. I think that's why it's important to look at this as a case by case right. rather than, you know, kind of these broad brush strokes right. in terms of, you know, everyone who sits has back pain or right. everyone who 
does construction as back pain because that's not that's not real. The ninety percent of us in America that have metabolic syndrome it doesn't doesn't help things though. Right, right, Certainly correct. I think I think inflammatory that. responses. I think mm-hmm. that's a that's another major yeah. um, factor that again I think since I I've become acutely aware of that having worked with um, CIH communities that you there's just so many things you don't know what you don't know. Um, right. So I've learned a lot that. You know, some of these conditions may be inflammatory responses yep. um, from areas that are way outside of my scope of practice. Especially, or, yeah, mm-hmm. and especially yeah. if it's like systemic inflammation, right. they have low back pain and neck pain and right. joint pain right. and knuckle pain. And, yeah, you know, and I usually, and, and those are those are the types of patients that are kind of my, my light bulb moment patients because typically if you're going to have system-wide sensitivity, it's, it's a, it usually indicates it's a more systemic issue rather than, you know, a unique, okay, I, you know, shoveled yesterday and now right. everything hurts as opposed to I'm just, you know, um, I've got back pain because I shoveled last night and I've got to wait for it to go away. And so I've, I've become acutely aware or I've started to appreciate more just how uh, inflammation impacts a lot of my patients, especially patients with chronic pain, but also some of my uh, non-chronic pain patients as well, looking at inflammatory responses mm-hmm. and and getting an appreciation of those inflammatory markers has been really helpful to educate um, them too, because it could be an, an indicator that this is a lot bigger than, oh, you strained your shoulder doing a lift. Yes. And then another big point would be, you know, another big area or common uh, type of pain, I guess, would be neck pain, you mm-hmm. know, the upper yep. back, the shoulders, the traps, SEM, all that stuff. Yeah. What what do you what do you recommend in general, knowing that it's not a cookie cutter approach for sure, sure but with, with neck pain? It's yeah. Like I common. mean, if it's if the sensitivity is ju- just kind of shows up out of the blue, it's not like, OK, well, I fell on my head or, you know, I was <laughs> right. carrying something. Most of that is really the the neck pain and shoulder pain. It's I look at it more as an endurance issue. Right. So it's not necessarily pain but it's in response to those mu- muscles fatiguing yeah. right so you're yeah. holding these small little muscles that have very low uh tolerance in the first place you're holding them in these static positions for an extended period of time they're getting tired and what you're feeling is really fatigue which is why it feels better when you lay down or you feel better when you take the stress away from those structures yeah, and there's a lot of bowling bowling alleys in our area, and actually we're all bowling every day because our, yeah. our, yeah. our heads are tw- twelve right. pound bowling balls. Yeah, right? so yeah. So I think I think you know neck and shoulder pain. A lot of it is really it can be can be attributed to muscle fatigue. Yeah, um, and chronic muscle fatigue rather than you know um, you know something you know pathological in nature. Um, and then that's why most of the exercises or most of the interventions are really just movement just move more they don't have to be heavy weighted movements but just moving more out of those positions that you're holding for an extended period a period of time but the same adage though is that some people have better capacity than others yeah some people can hold that bowling ball a lot longer than others and there's mitochondrial support and mitochondrial support and also i mean i think if you have a better if, if, if you don't have the same stressors, right? So stress is also a part of this too because stress mm-hmm. will just elevate. Yes. Um, you know, stress elevates inflammation. Well. Right. And, you know, so we know that yeah. stress coupled with, you know, you know, muscle fatigue in those sedentary positions is going to cause a lot of these um, symptoms. So my approach to neck and shoulder pain is really a little different than most. I don't 
I don't like to prescribe, you know, just weighted exercises right away. I usually prescribe body weight movements first mm-hmm. um, for several weeks. And because the other part is, is also if you've gotten to the point where you're dealing with neck and shoulder pain, it's not something that just happened overnight. You've, right. you've worked really hard to develop that. So it's not a matter of just saying, well, if you just do this, mm-hmm. uh, you'll be fine. I think you have to create an environment there that lets them identify this is in addition to my work. I also need to incorporate this movement that gets me out of this jam and you don't really have to prescribe a thousand different exercises sometimes one thing anything to move them out of that position okay is efficient enough or sufficient enough yeah and they can and once they start to feel the difference i think that's where the buy-in is really when they feel the difference like oh well i used to have that you know pain right in between my shoulder blades now i do this movement and i don't feel that or i feel it much later in the day and it Obviously, it's not an improvement. It's not present in the in the middle of my meetings, and I'm not noticing it because I'm doing and and all we're doing is just changing the length tension relationship and just increasing the endurance to a lot of those muscles that yeah are fatiguing or fatigue easily. And and we're we're about a year and a half now into this pandemic. I think more Mm -hmm. people work from home. They're on Zoom. Maybe the posture's not quite right. I haven't met anyone that hasn't had neck and shoulder pain. Actually, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's the that's the that's the true metric of all of this is that if we get more people moving mm-hmm. i think you'll notice that i mean the patients that are you know that we are working with i think that's what they notice in the beginning is that oh my pain is not as bad right and I, and again it's not that you've done something nuanced or something novel you've just given them an opportunity to change their habit right and you and that's what we were talking about earlier is that you've got to get out of their way too and just let them figure out what works best for them it doesn't matter if they do it first thing in the morning middle of the day or right before bed they have to establish that rhythm it's it's their lifestyle it's their lives and and if you try to put too many um, rules in it becomes more of this kind of battle of wills and and i love what you say on facebook sometimes about like keep moving keep active get going that kind of thing because one of the things that um, a wise person once told me and i can remember who they are, but, um, you know, but this idea that if we are moving, we're alive. If we stop moving and we're static, then, then that's not telling our body that, that we're alive actually. So we need to keep on moving. Yeah. Whether, even if we're on zoom, you know, we should yeah. keep moving and things like and, that. Yeah. And like you touched upon earlier though, with, you know, in terms of improving, uh, mitochondrial performance movement, that's part of, mm-hmm. that's part of that energy transport system, yep. right? If you're not doing enough to create that response, then yes, your ability to mitigate a lot of these challenges becomes harder and harder and harder. And the more sedentary, it kind of, it fuels that fire. So that's why we want more people to be more active. And whatever that means to you, you just have to move. It doesn't have to be that special exercise that my PT gave me. It could just right. be as simple as I've got to prioritize every two hours I get up and I just do jumping jacks. Yeah. Whatever that is. Um, and whatever that means to you. And I think the goal or the role for physical therapy in this process is being educators, right? And just kind of nudging um, folks along in this path and, and just creating a lifestyle goal rather than, you know, a treatment goal. 
Yes, and, and just a, a quick point about that from a functional perspective, a, um, exercise and movement will basically create mitochondrial biogenesis, the mitochondria right. being the batteries in your cell producing energy, biogenesis meaning going to create more mitochondria, so literally you're going to have more capacity for load as you go towards that graded exposure to movement right. over time if you do that on a regular basis and you don't do it too, too, too little or too much. That you know, someone can really make great recovery there. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's the beauty. And and I think for me at least, that's why it's so important that you do give them that time because that those processes take time. They mm -hmm. take several weeks to to build up. To take several weeks to ramp up. And so um, I think just to summarize that in terms of the we're talking about pain here now. Still, um, is there anything people can do at home to to address pain in, in general? Um, you know, what are the things? They're not necessarily seeing a physical therapist. Maybe they are. Ideally, they are. But mm -hmm. if they're if they're not, you know, what are they doing? Is it keeping moving, or you know, what what are the kind of things that you'd recommend? Yeah, I I would. I mean, again, movement. Is, my bias is movement. So most of most of the most of the time, I will definitely encourage people to stay active, mm -hmm. and just you know, the hard thing is the psychosocial component, right? So when you have that much pain, or you are limited by pain, it also changes the brain chemistry as well right so your ability to feel resilient your ability to feel robust is also a challenge at the same time so if you have pain and you don't feel very resilient it just kind of feeds into each other and then again can create a lot of unusual responses and some of those things we're still learning and still appreciating um you know how they interfere or how they impact individuals mm -hmm. so i think if you're if you're having pain and you're experiencing uh, intractable pain, then definitely get medical attention. But if it's chronic pain in nature or you find that sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not, those are usually good indicators that you're either experiencing a, a tremendous amount of stress coupled with being more sedentary. So just something as simple as getting out for a walk and then just working on you know breathing, just getting out just... Do something completely off the beaten path. Go for that hike. Go for that one, you know, okay, I haven't been to Great Falls in two years. Maybe it's time to go to Great Falls and, you know, take it all in and go, oh, yeah, it's, it's still there. It's a great there. time to go it's to Great Falls. still there. Yeah. 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 The so, waterfall's still there. Yeah, Sunlight's yeah, out yeah. You, there. But I think, so I think a lot of us tend to try to be insular about our pain and say, well, if I just wait it out, it'll mm. get better. If I yeah, just not do it, it'll get better. Yeah. But yeah. there are a lot of things that you can do proactively to nudge that process along. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for seeing all these, um, you know, patients here at CIH and you've been such a wonderful, you know, boost to, to the clinic in terms of just like really helping people. Um, just talking with some people recently about that and um, kind of curious how you see physical therapy integrating with healthcare overall, whether it's medicine or nutrition or acupuncture, yeah. et cetera. Well, I see, I mean, I see physical therapy as just an extension of, overall healthcare. Yeah. Um, I think it's 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 one component, but I think what I've appreciated about working at CIH is seeing how all these different legs play a role uh, in terms of boosting and balance and holding people up. So looking at health, looking at, you know, uh, gut health, looking at inflammatory markers, looking at hormonal changes, looking at bone density and how all of these things affect an individual coupled with how movement can play a role in that for me has been instrumental and I I I'm forever changed in terms of the way I look at things I'm forever changed in terms of the way I appreciate the body 
because for a long time my bias was just movement right exercise you know stay active you'll be fine but now i have a better appreciation that there are a lot more moving parts and they're all happening simultaneously and so you know an environment like cih is a perfect environment for a lot of people because this is one place where that's appreciated across the board that there are multiple systems being affected and they're all happening simultaneously they're not happening um independent of each other they're dependent on each other mm -hmm. and and that and that tie-in is really has been a really um, eye-opening experience for me because it does help me have better conversations with patients i can have better more in-depth conversations about hey in addition to this bone density work we also know that based on your last lab results this and this and this is present which means that we need to be mindful that maybe you don't ramp things up too quickly maybe we gradually maybe slower than what we're doing now so having that additional information has been really in, you know, instrumental for them but it's been even more uh, important for me well integratively too you know supporting all the legs at the table so the table stands up right if yeah. we had like a five-legged table and then only three of them were there the table would be tilted right. a bit so like looking at it from all angles but also from a, a, a you know a person's perspective in terms of lifestyle we really believe here we all kind of believe here right that you know movement and nutrition and sleep and mindset yeah. cultivating healthy relationships getting out in nature these are first-line medicine yeah That's i amazing, agree you know? i couldn't agree more with you and i think that it, in terms of a lifestyle practice i think that's i've kind of had People have asked me, you know, what kind of physical therapist are you? And um, I used to try to come up with a novel thing. I'm, you know, orthopedist based or performance based. But, you know, for the <laughs> yeah. most part, I'm a lifestyle physical therapist. Um, and, and most of my patients have very specific lifestyle goals. And my job is to identify how we can disrupt what they're experiencing to start to create a positive response so that yeah. they can get back to well, doing that makes sense that most enjoy. people don't go to the healthcare practitioner to go to them on its own right i mean right. i suppose right. there are some people that are like, some... i want to see his face every <laughs> yeah. every week there's some know? people that want to come hang out that's with true. me that's but... true they can have some tacos with you <laughs> yeah too, exactly um but exactly. but you know a lot of times people are like you know how can they become more functional how's my quality yeah. of life can i play with my kids grandkids yeah, yeah. Uh, hobbies you know yeah, and I All think that's that, been so. that's been the best part about this yeah. mindset or the difference in mindset is appreciating that mm -hmm. most people have very specific lifestyle goals and um, but they don't know how to start that process or that they've had ne negative experiences in the past in terms of starting that process. Yeah, and I think what what's different, I guess what my, what differentiates my style is really I. I try to listen to the patient and figure out or identify what's the best nudge forward. And sometimes it's do nothing. Sometimes it's do a little bit and sometimes it's do a lot. Right. So it's all depending on where they're coming and how they're, you know, interpreting all of this. I love that word nudge. Uh, lifestyle physical therapy that nudges, that nudges. patients to uh, activate their own healing responses themselves. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. But before we conclude this episode here, we have some fun closing questions that we'd okay. love to kind of ask you about. Um, first of all, do you have a morning routine? And if so, what what is that, if you don't mind sharing that? Well, <laughs> my, <laughs> my, my morning routine, I guess the, the best way to describe it is, yes, I do have a morning routine, but it's varied. But I have a three-and-a-half-year-old who is um, a very proactive, early... Um, 
early bird. So we're usually up pretty early. And She's your morning routine. She is my morning <laughs> routine. Um, yeah. But yeah, we spent a lot of time together. And, um, you know, since the pandemic, it's ha- it's given me a lot of time to reflect of, you know, just how important my family is and how yeah. important spending time with them is because we just don't know how much time we have. That's right. You know, this That's was right. a good reminder. No, family's everything. So absolutely. I spend a lot of time with her and, yeah. you know, I would like to believe I'm entertaining her, but I don't know. <laughs> she's a budding physical therapist, she's a, athlete. She's I, a, I can tell. She, yeah. yeah, she's yeah. definitely. She's a but. She, you know, she has a garden that she lets me tend to. Sometimes I only carry the water. I'm not allowed to touch the plants, but I can. I can carry the water because. What, what kind of things is she growing in that garden? She's then? growing carrots, and she grew bush beans. She grew kale. She grew peppers, red peppers. Um, she grew everything, herbs, lots of herbs. Most organic, of course. I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, all right. So, so getting up early, kind of doing some movement with with her. Yeah. Um. And and what what book or podcast are you doing the most uh, right now? Would you say? Um. You know, I think I, the the book that I I'm constantly reading, which was published in 2015, is um, the Pain hand, Handbook. It's okay. uh, the Protactometer, mm-hmm. but basically it looks at how pain um, is really it's more of an emotional experience rather than this kind of you know binary thing, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and so it's given me a lot. Um, I. I because like I said, based on the previous question with a three and a half year old, it's very hard to to dedicate uh, too much time to reading. So I, most of, most of my readings are uh, um, journals and you know mm-hmm. research articles. And, you said the pain, uh, the pain the handbook. Handbook. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, and underneath is called the protectometer. The protectometer. Got yeah. It. Okay. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so that's that's. I read that from time to time as just kind of reference, and it's it's been a really good um, reminder for me that um, I don't need to look at pain as this kind of binary, like is there an injury or no injury? Because most of the time you can have pain and not have an injury and still experience okay. um, pain. Got it. And then, thank you. Uh, what do you do every day to cultivate joy? Um, tending to the garden. Yeah. Tenet, yeah, that's not joy for me. That's work. That's labor. <laughs> that's, work. Okay. that's labor. <laughs> all right, all right. So after the work um, is done, right? After, after the, the work, work is, is done. Right. Um, so I, I do try to prioritize exercising and just finding time to um, do you know, an hour or two just to myself. And sometimes nice. that's late night mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes it's early. But I also, um, you know, watching, seeing my daughter do the things that I enjoy doing and having as much fun as I'm brings me joy. So yeah. it's been great to see that, um, you know, my wife and I are passing on, are, are passing on at least, at least the, the mindset that exercise and being active is, um, is it's, it doesn't have to be forced. It's just yeah. a lifestyle. It's just, just part of, just like you brush your teeth. You yeah. just, it can you know, be fun. It yeah. can be fun. Yeah. And yeah. that's great. But yeah. So that's, that's for me, my family brings me joy and doing, yeah. Yeah, and being a part and and annoying them with you know all my all my PT jokes <laughs> and, and now that I'm a dad I can crack dad jokes so I've been very I feel very blessed now that I can finally crack corny jokes yeah and then do you I have any just, PT or dad jokes in the cupboard that you want to share on air or, or no, is that not yet. maybe no. off air well, yeah off okay. air definitely off air right right all right well, listen these people have to have some respect for me not just <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do this after the podcast. After the the podcast. Podcast. <laughs> yes. All right. 
Well, thank you so much, Hiza, for being here today on the podcast. It's an awesome episode here. Yeah. And uh, thank, you, thank you so much. And how can listeners learn more about you and work with you? Um, the best way is either through CIH, uh, my information is there, or um, you can go to Kimbia Physio, K-I-M-B-I-A-P-H-Y-S-I-O dot com and you can find me there as well you can connect me through that so Great. either cih or through my website and kimbia i will ask you this because i was going to ask you that remind me kimbia remind how did you get the name for your uh, so kimbia is swahili for running running so to run. okay yep so yeah. when i first started i worked i was working primarily with endurance athletes so i yeah. started working with like runners yeah and cyclists started to come in and then they would say hey i've got you know a swimmer friend of mine and right so then it just kind of right. grew and then it went to well i've got a you know a postpartum athlete who wants to so then it kind of just grew into a bigger thing so the initial the the initial mindset was i was just going to work with runners and runners alone and then um it grew and it grew and it grew and, and i've had to expand it but i like the idea of running because um, it's a constant struggle to just stay active. And, and I think we all have that struggle and I think we all have the ups and downs and the, the sidesteps and progress is never always linear. There's a nice, lovely linear th- uh, curt line that we all think about. It's right. squiggles, lots of squiggles. A lot of squiggles, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and yeah, yeah keep it, keeping, keeping moving, you know, yeah. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, keep it moving. Well, uh, thank you so much again. I appreciate it. Here. Thank you for having me on a Friday. The yes, first Friday the first guest. Friday oh, man. <laughs> well, Good luck, you. everybody. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to leave us a review, rate us, like us. It helps our podcast reach more listeners. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on our next conversations. And thank you so much for being with us today as well. 